0: disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. Look, the absolute last thing Puerto Rico needed was a walloping by not one, but two gigantic hurricanes. While the Commonwealth was mired in a $70 billion debt crisis to boot. No power for the Commonwealth of 3.5 million people. Decrepit infrastructure. Tens of thousands of Puerto Ricans, meanwhile, bolting for New York and Florida. Oh, And bondholders from the prior decade are hell-bent on getting repaid. Outside of San Juan, Washington, D.C., Wall Street, Albany, Tallahassee, all have major vested interests. Call this Puerto Rico's purgatory. Stay with us. Full disclosure is made possible by the generous support of Elwood Thompson's, the best market in Virginia. Let me repeat that for you. The best market in Virginia. In the heart of Richmond's Town, at the corner of Elwood and Thompson streets, you must check out Indian Wednesdays. You must check out the Mexican buffet on many Fridays. You have wonderful brunches on Saturdays and Sundays. You have the beet and the wine bar, a selection of Blanchard's coffees, produce, vitamins, nutraceuticals. It's all there. Elwood Thompson's and at elwhathompsons.com. My guest today is Kate Long of the Puerto Rico Clearinghouse, which provides bondholders independent research and analysis on the efforts to restructure the massive debt of the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico. Kate became quite a celebrity in, in Muniland circles, if you will, uh, when she wrote About them in uh, what was it, spring of 2012? You predicted a future insolvency for Puerto Rico, and here we are, five plus years later. uh, An act of God, indeed, an insolvent commonwealth. Uh, Nobody is celebrating, and with a storm like this hitting the commonwealth and and it being absolutely broke, and now having its slate wiped clean from an infrastructure perspective, there are all sorts of questions up in the air.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. Hey, Robin, thanks for having me.
0: No, I'm my, my pleasure. So what 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 did you think? I mean, like obviously, the Puerto Rico needed this like a bullet to its head. It's already in the process of restructuring north of seventy billion dollars of debt. How did it accumulate all that debt to begin with?
1: Um, so like many states and some larger cities, um, they issue debt for various purposes to build roads or bridges or build schools. Um, Puerto Rico is a little unique as a territory and that they also, in addition to funding all those things, uh, this government there owns the electric utility and the water utility and basically any public corporations that, you know, on the mainland would be um, privately held or, you know, publicly held away from the government. So part of that big debt pile about, you know, probably around 12 or 14 billion is relates to their public utilities. And the rest of it, um, they, they, Funded some infrastructure and then they also just got in a habit of borrowing money to fund deficits, always promising investors that they would reform the government and walk their spending down and they just never did.
0: Let me let me understand Puerto Rico and I you know at the risk of sounding like a pompous ignorant mainland Mm. American uh, person who's chiefly invested in, in, you know, his own municipalities and his own corporations. This Mm -hmm. is not like investing in emerging market debt. Puerto Rico does have some quasi U.S. um, uh, advantages. Like you get the tax-free benefit if you're an American investor investing in in municipal debt in Puerto Rico. Did that tail wag the dog? The example being that we had such a low-yield environment that people were creeping, were reaching for yield, Mm -hmm. and they offered... For Puerto Rico, I say over the past ten years of financial crisis period, here here's the money, take it. We just want yield. You you must be good for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, there's no question. In 1917, the Jones Act was passed, and as part of that, was mm-hmm. um, Congress gave Puerto Rico the ability to issue debt was triple tax free in all 50 states. Now they're the only entity other than the Virgin Islands, essentially, that have has that ability to issue debt everywhere and have it be tax exempt. And they use that as promotional or marketing, um, you know, come on for for decades, basically. And the other thing is that they are part of the municipal bond market. They are um, governed by federal laws, but they've always just kind of existed out as, as as you know, literally an island away from most issuers. They file. They take forever to file their financial statements. Two governors have. Successive governors have said they falsified those statements in the past and hid borrowing and costs from investors so they could borrow more. So you have corruption. You have sort of just a different approach. They speak Spanish there. All the bond documents are in English, so the people that live there, the citizens never really understood, probably could never see you know what some of this borrowing was. But tell um, me more,
0: tell me more Kate. This is a dollarized economy, right? I mean, this is effectively mm-hmm, like yeah. you're you're visiting Puerto Rico, you can come and go freely. It's right. it's residents can come to the United States. They don't vote from Puerto Rico. They don't have voting privileges. They don't have a US senator, but it right. it has a kind of a, a a territorial status.
1: Correct. It's a it's part of the United States. It is essentially a colony. Um as is the Virgin Islands and Guam and the Mariana Islands. They are four, quote, U.S. territories. Um, they are governed by federal law, but like a state, they have their own laws. In 1952, Congress approved the Constitution of Puerto Rico and gave them the ability to essentially self-rule for most things, which would be taxes and schools and their police department. And you know, But they still have a lot of federal services there, things like the post office, the Coast Guard. Uh, the FBI has a very active office in San Juan. So is it is it
0: jingoistic? Is it jingoistic of me to even pose the question? Does th- 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 the population still want statehood? Is that is that divided down the middle? Are more people saying, you know, give us representation and taxation? I mean, at this point, we have nothing to lose.
1: So they have uh, two main parties there and a minor minority party. One is the statehood party, which the current governor and the majority of the legislature. Are from, um, and then the other party, which is basically, it's like the status quo party. They just want to remain a commonwealth with this kind of indefinite status between Puerto Rico and the federal government. Now, last um, earlier in the spring, the the statehood party, which is the governor, organized a referendum to vote on the statehood issue, and I think it was like 92% voted in favor of statehood, but. Everybody but the statehood party boycotted it. So they really only had like 25 percent turnout. So, the, you know, most people in the Justice Department, they didn't coordinate properly with the U.S. Justice Department. So most people are sort of viewing that as, an, an, you know, political. It was a political thing as opposed to really a binding resolution to impose on Congress.
0: You know, just to, to tick all these things off for everybody, the island has a population of about three and a half million people, double digit unemployment. A lot of people believe double digit in the mid teens, uh, a, a shortfall, a gap in Medicaid funding, so a bit of a healthcare crisis. Right. A bankrupt state owned electric company which whose, whose plants are, are roughly, what, 40, 45 years old and overwhelmingly mm-hmm. run on Venezuelan oil. And Venezuela is in its own failed state situation right now. Right. Um, right. And on top of that, you have the more well heeled Puerto Ricans leaving hundreds. Hundreds of thousands of them over the past several years going to places like Florida and New York, and so there's a brain drain and a tax base drain.
1: Somewhat, I think that you know that the meme that it's the more educated population leaving. That you know the the New York Federal Reserve kind of came up with a different analysis that it was really less educated people that were leaving because jobs at the bottom, you know, the, you know the retail kind of jobs and the. You know, we're less readily available there. Um, But there's no question there's been a pretty massive population exodus. Um, So that's, yeah, that's a real challenge. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of times when that happens, people that don't leave are the seniors and people that, you know, have needs. But we also have seen people leaving the island, you know, for example, with people, families that have special needs children because they just can't get the support there they need. And they go to Florida where, you know, there's, a lot easier to get the services to support their children and stuff.
0: And I'm hearing the same thing with people with terminal care issues that maybe need chemotherapy or hospice care are going to places like Mexico from Venezuela and Puerto Rico and uh, Florida. That's Mm -hmm. why you see the likes of Marco Rubio, the senator, the Republican, uh, who Florida has more than one million Puerto Ricans. And when they do come to the United States, they are able to vote. Do I understand that correctly?
1: Correct. Yes, they're so US citizens. So right. the, and they serve in the military. They yeah.
0: So you see you if see they don't Congress. pay taxes
1: on the island. I think that's one very important point to make and when Congress, you know, most members of Congress view the island and in terms of funding issues, that's always been kind of a big hang up for members of Congress is that they're exempt most everybody's exempt from paying federal income tax. In Puerto
0: Rico. So, yeah.
1: But as soon as those people move to Florida, they they have to pay federal income tax.
0: I want to understand this. So how do you look at it from a, a kind of a fiscal crisis perspective? If, if there's an emerging market, let's say just a, a country whose economy collapses, you want to look at you know Malaysia in the late 90s, you want to look at an Argentine debt crisis or something, the IMF would come in with a package, with a bailout package. You always hold open the option of devaluing your currency. I know, for example, the Greeks, some of them wish they still had the drachma because then you have your self-determination mm-hmm. and you're not tethered right. to the euro. These are not options necessarily. Necessarily, I mean, with the currency devaluation, it's not something Puerto Rico can do to kind of devalue itself out of out of this crisis and hope that it attracts a ton of, of foreign investment.
1: Right. So Congress um, created a law, which I help work on, PROMESA, which is um, has two parts mainly. They passed it in June of 2016. It has two elements. One is an oversight board of seven members. Um, the... Names were submitted from the Senate and the House leaders to President Obama, and he chose these seven members. And then the other element of it was a debt restructuring process, which is a hybrid, very unusual, and was hopefully going to be a template template for states and other places. But part of it is based on sovereign debt restructurings, which are consensually negotiated. And then the second part was a, pretty much a a the mayor of Chapter 9 Municipal Bankruptcy, which is a court-supervised process. So the idea was that the Oversight Board would go in, help get some kind of control of the government spending, because they're not even really clear what they're spending. They don't have very good controls on what they're spending. And then sit down with bondholders over a period of time, and one, just everyone would have a litigation standstill in essence. And then try and consensually negotiate what these bondholders are going to get. Mm. And the board basically skipped the whole consensual negotiation part of the process in the statute and went straight to court litigation. And so now what we have is this massive, massive pile of court cases. Um, unfortunately, that so it's going to take quite some time to get through. Very complicated.
0: So this one-two wallop from Hurricanes Irma and Maria, while Puerto Rico is already mild, mired in this fiscal, this debt crisis, and this very tense negotiation between bondholders and the state, and can you wrangle all these players, and can you bring the power company, which the state-owned power company is effectively bankrupt, um, are there extraordinary measures that, say, Washington, D.C. can take? It's not like you can go in and, mm-hmm. and you know annex or nationalize Puerto Rico's debts. You're talking mm-hmm. about $70, $75 billion here, which in the grand scheme. Scheme of municipal finance. I mean, you're you're worried about marking down American investors who have this stuff who are increasingly realizing it's tainting their their you know muni bond portfolios.
1: Yeah, so definitely. So one is when PROMISA was being uh, you know fought over in Congress. Uh, S- Speaker Ryan was adamant there would be no bailout. So there was no federal dollars um, as part of that process. Now with these hurricanes, um, it does open the door for there to be significant um, support from the federal government through the FEMA program. And for example, for the electric utility, because FEMA, the Stafford law that governs that statute allows for the federal government to reimburse up to about 75% of the cost for public utilities, you know, the restoration and, and roads, bridges, things like that. So, it's possible even in this case that president trump will up, up that or congress will you know up that amount of support they can they can give to the island so that is you know in the medium term actually a, a very big and positive thing for the island um, it's also positive for the bondholders for um, the- but then longer run you know the issue still is how do we get puerto rico to grow um puerto rico as you said it's you know the unemployment rate is just hovering right around 10% and has improved significantly over the last few years but we still need to you know attract industry there um create jobs either create local jobs or multinationals locating there for either tax purposes or cost purposes
0: so there's still a lot of work ahead Full disclosure, we're talking to Kate Long. She's with Puerto Rico Clearinghouse. She uh, made quite a name for herself back in March of 2012 when she predicted a future insolvency for the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico. And that has since you know, evolved into her expertise. I think you used to write a column for Reuters. Am I, am I correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. On municipal bonds.
0: So I, I want to understand, again, to continue, I, I feel like I have to keep offering this disclaimer because it's always going to sound mercenary. We're talking about tremendous suffering. We're talking about an entire island without power. Um you know, right. bad conditions, uh, stagnant water. I mean, people putting out pails of water to just collect uh, right. waters for, for toilet. Uh, you're talking about an aged infrastructure system. This kind of needs some sort of international bailout or, or extraordinary intervention from Washington, D.C. But then again, it's not a full-fledged state. So it's not like Donald Trump is calling a governor in his party and saying, you know I'm good for this. At the same time, he is being prodded by various Congress Congress people in, in Puerto Rico-rich states and districts. Um, what are its assets outside of its liabilities? I mean, what does Puerto Rico offer the world? Are there multinationals that are based there? Is there significant yeah. uh, you know, deposits of iron ore, I don't know, uranium? Yeah. We know that the beach at Vieques is gorgeous. We know that it's geostrategically exactly. important. But if it had to put together a, a, a mercenary PowerPoint presentation like, come back to puerto rico we won't tax you i mean what what kind of presentation would it make
1: well there are a lot of uh, economic advantages there's just there are gorgeous beaches parts of puerto rico are considered some of the most beautiful beaches in the world but on the on the economic side you know one is that they are truly a bridge to latin america uh, most people there, spanish is the first language and they operate under the laws of you know, the U.S., the federal laws, and so that gives a lot of comfort. For example, they've established their what they call an international insurance center, and they have given tax advantages to um, captive insurers and reinsurers to locate on the island. Now, that doesn't necessarily create a lot of jobs, but it does bring capital into the island. They also have a program called uh, Act 154, which is a means for uh, U.S. multinationals like Microsoft and some of the pharmaceutical companies and medtech companies to manufacture there and then um, shield, essentially shield some of their federal income at the Treasury, U.S. Treasury. That program's been there for quite some time. And then they have another set of tax um, sort of haven programs which are related to um, high-net-worth people on the mainland um, and people with small companies that want to export businesses. And essentially that's act 20 and 22. And that allows uh, say high net worth um, mainland investor to establish residency in Puerto Rico for at least half the year. They are then exempt from paying federal income taxes and they pay only the local 4% income tax. So for someone in a very high tax bracket, like, you know, around 40%, By establishing their residence on the island and being there, you know, half the half the year plus a day, they can essentially get out of all their federal taxes. So, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, about their um, legal situation that that make them, you know, could be potentially very, very attractive for a lot more people to go there.
0: Mm. Uh, Just to unpack some of the history, Columbus. Chris Columbus himself arrived in Puerto Rico way back in 1493. Uh, It was his second voyage. The island was inhabited by the Taino. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, the Spaniards called it Borinquen, uh, the Boriquen. Uh, he named the island San Juan Bautista, and it was a Spanish colony until about 1898. Uh, the uh, Americans really prevailed. The United States did. It was the era of you know, United States colonialism, uh, roughly from 1900 to the present. And it's been a back and forth relationship. It's been very fraught with their periods and ebbs and flows. US citizenship, Puerto Rican citizenship. Do you want to be a state? No, we want self determination. The economy booms, the economy flails. Uh, there are varying levels of, of codependency with uh, Washington and Wall Street. And the peculiarity of the, as we mentioned before, the hunt for yield, the global hunt for yield, uh, swelled this island with, again, $70 billion of debt, which seems uh, quite huge for, you know, it's, 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 punching well above its weight in terms of, yeah. of its fiscal capacity. Uh, so, right. you can't just neatly say as a Western investor that, oh, that's Puerto Rico's problem. It's everybody's problem right now, because that debt has has infiltrated everything.
1: Well, let me just take it to another level, which is the, those of us in the municipal bond market think about a lot, which is some of the, So, in the court-supervised process of the debt restructuring the judge is weighing the validity of the legal structures of some of this debt now there's a lot of debt on the mainland that mirrors those legal structures and if she invalidates some of them there are many other debt you know types of municipal debt in the United States that could become suspect and let me just point a few which is New York state has New York state has what's called a personal income tax bonds use the same structure which is under threat In Puerto Rico, which is the COFINA debt, the city of Chicago is getting ready to issue $3 billion of this same type of securitization debt, like COFINA, the one that's under challenge. All across the United States, we have debt that has similar legal structures. And if she invalidates the the liens, the legal security of these bonds, it, it will definitely have repercussions across the market. $73
0: $73 billion in debt, according to the World Bank. Now, in, in gross debt, a public debt of $73 billion is equal to about 103% of gross national product in Puerto Rico. How does that compare to a, a, a country the size of Puerto Rico, say a, another 4 million population country out there? I mean, what's the right size of debt for this country if it had its druthers now?
1: So, again, this is, you know, everything about Puerto Rico is very unique. Since they don't pay federal taxes, they have no liability for U.S. federal debt. So, in essence, the only debt they're really responsible, for, Puerto Rico is responsible for, is that $70 billion. And that comes out to about sixteen or $17,000 a person. Now, in contrast, in, say, Illinois or New Jersey, uh, Connecticut, when you add the total debt liability for a resident there, which is local, state, and federal, it's like 60000 So they really, in like apples to apples, their debt load is not as scary as it might sound. How does it compare to other countries? We look generally debt service or total debt to GMP, and they're around 100%, which is actually pretty average for countries in the world. But, but you have again, no, you it, have
0: no other municipal situation as bad as a municipality might be. A state, I mean, let's say take an Illinois or a Michigan that has what a forty-five percent poverty rate. If you subscribe to that, in in, in Puerto Rico, um, I I just want to not right. you know prod you and see how they get out of this out, outside of you know the IMF and various other counterparties writing them huge checks or forgiving huge swaths of debt.
1: Right. So IMF is not. Valid in this situation because they're a U.S. part of the U.S., you know, the United States. So the IMF does not have any, you know, but it's
0: not, it's strange that it's part of the United States because it's a sovereign nation (laughs) as well. I mean, I don't,
1: it's not a sovereign nation, it's a territory. So colony of the United
0: States. (laughs) And isn't it crazy that we're still talking about it in 2017?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, it's so, you know, there's pluses and minuses. For example, if they become a state, then the people, are going to have to pay federal taxes there. And so the people that, you know, have income or in higher income brackets don't think that's so great, but it will also give them a huge amount of federal money that can go to the low income people. Mm. So you can see there's economic issues that, you know, relate to their status as well as, you know, just on the surface kind of political philosophical issues. Mm. So, but basically it, it really, all the solution comes down to in the long run, helping Puerto Rico grow. Um, so, You know, my view is what can Congress do to help with that? Um, There's things like the Jones Act. You've probably heard Mm -hmm. that discussed, which is part of this old 1917 law, which requires all shipping to Puerto Rico has to happen under U.S. flagged and manufactured ships. So say if a ship wanted to come from – this exempts actually oil and natural gas, but, you know, if a, a ship wanted to come from China or from somewhere else, it couldn't go directly to Puerto Rico. It has to go into Miami get transferred to a U.S. flagship, and then go down there. So that adds cost for them. Um, there's just a lot of things. There's a lot of small things that could be fixed, some of which is, you know, the responsibility of their legislature, which has nothing to do with the U.S. Congress. But, Robin, basically this storm hopefully will give them, like you said, sort of a clean slate. You know, it's just it's so crushing, and, it, and it's really damaging to so many institutions. That hopefully, as they rebuild, they can, you know, do it with, one, a lot more transparency and openness, and two, you know, integrating more resources of the federal government to support them down there.
0: Mm. Structurally, in the few minutes we have left, I mean, you're talking about the medium term and the long term, and and growth and a, a restoration of economic vitality and bringing down the poverty rate and and bringing down unemployment and bringing back animal spirits of commerce, uh, that would help. But in the short term, people just want to get the lights and the air conditioning units back on. And how can that be done uh, through a decrepit power system that is state owned and insolvent? Who writes the check that bridges them to this? As you explained to me, the IMF can't come in. Is this all kind of on, on Washington's conscience right now?
1: Well, number one, in any situation, whether it's Florida or Houston or Puerto Rico, private insurers are responsible to step up first. And the the electric utility PREPA and other parts of the government have insurance policies, and it's a question, you know, how much coverage do they have? And then beyond that, FEMA can help with restoration, I'd said, at least up to 75% of the cost. And then where's the remaining money going to come from? We have to see how much it is. Congress could give them a loan. People have, in the muni market have talked about Congress issuing disaster recovery bonds for Houston, Florida, you know, possibly Puerto Rico. So there's going to be, you know, a lot of possibilities. It's will it come out of cash, like short-term liquidity and cash? Some of it will, but the investment money will not. You know, mm-hmm. those are long-term needs that have to be financed and structured in a way to be paid off over the longer term.
0: In the meantime, you are seeing these voting proxies, uh, the congressmen and congresswomen and senators of places like New York and Florida, which are very much affected by the exodus being outspoken about this. Roughly 80,000 Puerto Rican residents moved to the mainland US last year. Uh, That exodus, everybody fears that it's going to be exacerbated as the situation becomes truly intolerable there without power. In a healthcare crisis, um, very moist, very damp, very waterlogged. Uh, a lack of leadership. Um, we have seen no, this. You I know, will
1: stop you. The leadership actually has been very, very good, very good, um, exceptionally good. And i this is the third governor I've watched closely or been you know got to
0: know on restructuring the debt on on asking for the right amount of help.
1: No, the, the, that's not his responsibility. The Oversight Board, which Obama appointed, is responsible for the debt stuff. But in mm-hmm. terms of leadership in, in addressing these hurricanes and the needs and getting like the New York governor involved in Congress and FEMA you know, in the Department of Defense and all the federal agencies, they've been tremendous down there.
0: New, York's, been very- New York Congresswoman Nydia Velasquez, she's uh, in the Brooklyn area district, has a ton of Puerto Ricans there. She's waiting mm-hmm. for news on her family members in the island. Uh, she said over the next several months, quote, the combination of the financial crisis, the healthcare crisis, and now these two natural disasters, it's a recipe for a lot of people to feel they're hopeless and they need to come to the mainland United States. Uh, if- we don't scramble the jets, she's effectively saying, and help the Commonwealth sufficiently. We're going to have an unprecedented number of people who will continue to leave the island. And that's really the, that's, that's the, the, the kind of the slippery race against uh, population drain, mm-hmm. right? Because population drain means a, a tax base drain, a, a workforce drain. Whatever uh, Puerto Rico you do envision as the corrected Puerto Rico in five or 10 years needs its people, after all.
1: Right. And so Representative Velasquez uh, flew down today with uh, New York Governor Cuomo and a bunch of people from the National Guard and, and engineers from the New York Power Authority. And people, you know, there's Marines are coming tomorrow. The U.S. Corps of Engineers is coming you know, people are queued up to help Puerto Rico in a way that I have never seen before. Hmm. And I understand, that, you know, and I've heard many times that people will leave because it's so desperate. But there's a full on effort from President Trump down to get every resource possible to the Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands, which was really devastated. I mean, I think 80 percent of the housing in the Virgin Islands was obliterated. Hmm. So, you know, there's a full on press. There's, you know. There's a need to establish, you know, technical connections. Um, You know, there's the port in San Juan is open. So they're starting to bring barges in and ships are going in to bring relief supplies. This nobody's waiting to help Puerto Rico. And hopefully the Puerto Rican, you know, Puerto Ricans will have confidence that we're there for them and the federal government and all of America is there to support them. They don't need to feel like they've been left alone.
0: In closing, Kate, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is this the act of God or the sufficient force majeure that finally makes uh, San Juan and Washington and the rest of the other states uh, say that this is time for the United States and uh, Puerto Rico to shack up formally and you guys become our 51st state?
1: No. (laughs) I mean, I'd like to say that, yes, the, 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 the members of Congress will step there, but the reality is that Puerto Rico as a state would mean two more Democratic senators in the Senate and you know three or four or five Democratic House members and with Republicans controlling Congress that's not in the near term. You know, that's not on the cards near term. So you know, longer term maybe. Um, but I think right now everybody's really just focused on getting Puerto Rico stabilized and you know making it a safe and secure place for the residents there.
0: Kate Long, Puerto Rico Clearinghouse, keep at it. Your work is excellent. Thank you for letting me (laughs) pull you aside while everybody's calling you this week. Full disclosure, we are on NPR One and on iTunes at FullDRadio.com. You can catch us on Facebook.com slash FullDRadio, Twitter at FullDRadio. I'm Robin Farzad, back with you next week.